Um, some of you know me pretty well, some of you a little bit, some of you not at all. I'm Dave Cheadle. I work with a homeless ministry uh, in South Denver, and I get to come in about once a year, it seems, uh, to speak here. And this is really like my favorite place to speak. I don't know, it's all the prayer and hugs and the worship uh, warming up before I get to come up and speak. I just feel just so blessed to be able to represent God's word. And um, in, in my prayer preparation, I always just pray, you know, God, use everything I prepared or none of it. Just speak to your people through me. I've done my part, now you do your part. And I just like to lift that up again as a prayer as I launch into this. Father God, uh, you love your children, every one of them, and you love your son, Jesus Christ. You sent him to teach us even more about love. And this morning, you want to love on your people in this, uh, this community. And you want to challenge us in the area of love and just so love, 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 love. But also truth and challenge. And your kingdom come and your will be done to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ and to the honor of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit may it be so. Amen. So um, I had a really unusual conversation with my daughter about a week ago. Um, she let me in on the fact that she had taken a concealed weapons class and was going to be able to uh, carry a gun in her purse. And um, now don't get the wrong idea about my daughter, okay? She was like homecoming queen. She's blonde-haired, blue eyes, is part of a church plant, very active, the sweetest thing. And it did come as a bit of a shock that she was taking this class, but I know the kind of people she's been running around with lately. She doesn't even own a gun, but she does own a bow and arrow. Uh, she's got that thing going. And she started with a recurve, and uh, she's just graduated up to a compound bow. And we were up at Fort Collins where she lives, my wife and I, um, last Sunday. And I said, well, show us how the darn thing works. So she took us down to the Fort Collins archery place, uh, outdoor archery thing. And she pulled out this $1,000 bow. And from a distance of about here to the exit sign over there, she put three arrows right in the X, you know, like a little tiny thing. And she just like is amazing to watch her shoot this bow. And she's running with a bunch of outdoorsy people who uh, are into like, you know, being able to take care of themselves and maybe hunt a deer or an elk or whatever. And I got to thinking about that and wondering, has my daughter become a survivalist? And I, I went online because it kind of, I wanted to check the symptoms or whatever and, and see if, if what was going to happen, you know. And, and so um, according to Wikipedia now, um, survivalists are also known as preppers sometimes, they cross that line, are actively preparing for emergencies, including possible disruptions in social or political order on scales from local to international. Survivalists often acquire emergency medical and self-defense training. They stockpile food and water, prepare to become self-sufficient, and build structures, underground shelters that may help them survive a catastrophe. Um, if you're proud of being a survivalist or a prepper, you can raise your hand. I'm not sure yet how I feel about this. Let me read a little bit more here about... Uh, Common preparations include the creation of a clandestine or defensible retreat, a haven or a bug out location. As I started reading about this, I kept running into bug out bags and bug out locations and stuff. In addition to stockpiling of non-perishable food, water, water purification equipment, 
clothing, seed, firewood, defensive or hunting weapons, okay, well, ammunition, agricultural equipment, and medical supplies. Survivalists uh, do not make such extensive preparations um, just for themselves, but also to be prepared for their family and their friends and their community. And I started being a little bit interested in that. Um, okay, if it's a community side to it. They prepare for earthquakes, floods, power outages, blizzards, avalanches, wildfires, terrorist attacks, nuclear power plant accidents, hazardous materials, spills, tornadoes, and hurricanes. Okay, I suppose some of that stuff happens all the time. But as I was thinking about that, you know, I suppose I thought, if they add the time of tribulation and the Antichrist, then maybe it makes sense that we would be prepping for this. Um, survivalists focus on living through dangerous situations, and then here's the line that caught my heart, and helping their community in the process. So there's a stereotype in my mind from some horror movies and action thrillers of these, these like Michigan militia people who just hunker down for themselves and want to survive a, a zombie apocalypse and be the last one standing and protect their food. But then there's a kind of a survivalist or a prepper who prepares for possible disasters, and we know there are disasters in this world, and wants to prepare their community as well to minimize you know, the loss and the trauma and everything. And I guess this morning, in a sense, I have the heart of a prepper. Um, and you are my community, and I would like to prepare you uh, for death, for the apocalypse, for Armageddon. Jesus Christ, in the scripture that we're going to turn to, uh, is the last teaching he did like this before his Easter, before his death and resurrection. As he moved into Jerusalem on that holy week, leading up to his betrayal, his death and resurrection, he was prepping himself with the Holy Spirit, with prayers and anguish and tears to his father, and he was also prepping his community, his beloved friends and disciples, prepping them for his death and resurrection. But in his teachings, he was even prepping the community for their or our death and resurrection. And this last teaching that we're going to look at today um, really is, in a sense, a prepper's parable or a, preface, a prepper's prophecy. So um, as we turn to this, I want you to, to keep in mind that um, this is important. It was so important that he made sure, like a, a, a matriarch or a patriarch on their deathbed, that he got this last teaching in. Can you picture the scene like of somebody who, who let's say, has a, a tremendous amount of farmland and, and ranch operations or uh, companies that they own, someone who has quite a bit of a state, is on their deathbed, and they call together the family and they know that they're down to, you know, the hospice has given them, a, you know, 48 hours or whatever, the morphine's going up. They don't have, this might be the last time they really get to have a coherent conversation with family and friends. What are they going to say at that last teaching? Um, Eric has got us in a, in a countdown to Easter sermon series here where we're saying, like, what are these last things that Jesus taught before he stopped teaching uh, and went to the cross. And I think that it's, it's worth noting as Jesus gathered those people in like, like in the hospice situation, 
the last thing he said was, this is really important. I've told you how to manage my farm or my ranch or my businesses. I, you, you've heard what I value in life, and I've already made out the will. You know how this is going to play. But the last thing I want to tell you is this. What? What's the last thing I want to tell you? I want to tell you, love each other. Treat each other nicely. After I'm gone, don't go for each other's throats. Treat each other. I love you all, and I want you to treat each other well. And that's where we're headed with this scripture. Now, I want to um, read it in the message because almost all of us have heard this um, at least once before, if not once a year, and maybe in our devotions. It's one of the most really famous teachings of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to read it in the message so that you can hear it maybe a little bit fresher than you normally hear it in the NIV or the King James or something. And it's the parable or the prophecy of the end times, day of wrath, judgment. And again, for all of us, some of us are going to die peacefully in bed. Some of us maybe instantly in a car wreck. Maybe some of us are going to actually be here when Christ returns in the clouds and the glory. Maybe some of us uh, are going to see Armageddon or times of persecution and tribulation. But all of us, one way or another, either in this life or in a returned resurrection, will see the day of the Lord and will see what is described in Matthew 25. It's ironic that uh, I, I, I work at homeless ministry. I'm a pastor over homeless ministry. And this is literally on the wall on a four-by-eight huge billboard inside our eating area. This is, of course, a famous home. Anybody who's involved in homeless ministry loves this. I didn't pick this. It came up in the draw. So uh, I, I, I love this passage, and it scares me, and it encourages me. I hope it will do some of the same for you. Matthew 25, we're going to start reading uh, in verse 31. Again, keep in mind, this is the last teaching. Right after this, Judas agrees to betray Jesus, and we move in towards Good Friday. So Jesus says, when he finally arrives, blazing in beauty, and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Now we sang it earlier, he, he is the lamb who came and was slain, and he is the king who, who takes the throne that is given to him by his father. I, I threw in here, just as a, as a reminder, a little a passage. Uh, it's my, in your bulletin. You know, this is a passage from 2 Kings 19.35. There are other passages that kind of give us a wake-up call on this, but that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies. Okay, Jesus has at his command um, the, the hosts of heaven, the army angels, the angel armies of heaven. The angel of death alone in this passage took out 185,000 of the fiercest warriors, the greatest army on the planet at the time. When Jesus comes back as the king, he's coming back with these folks. And uh, there will be nobody who can stand against the king with his authority unleashed. This is, this is the God who was able to speak light into darkness, to flame up stars and suns, 
the one who is able to, to speak out of nothingness planets and turn them into gardens. The God who has that kind of authority and power can look at a battlefield and speak to the bones of the soldiers and speak to the joints and say, be unhinged and flop down. And he could say, you know that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark where their face, may your faces melt like wax like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He can just say it and it will be done. There will be nobody who can stand against the king when he comes in his glory. And Jesus opens this last teaching with a hint. He says this, that when he comes with the angel armies and he takes his place on his glorious throne, then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. What happens next? Okay, he's sorting them out. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, enter, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Now, they're talking to the, the glorious one now. They're talking to the one on the throne with the angels' armies around him. And they're saying, Lord, I would have caught it, I think. I, I, I don't know how I could have missed. I never saw you. And then the king will say, I am telling you the solemn truth. It's pretty, in, in the Greek, this is very emphatic. It's like, listen carefully, take this seriously. What I'm going to say is absolutely true. It's not just metaphor here. It's not just poetry. Listen to what I say, says Jesus. Whenever you did one of these things, one of these acts of kindness, to someone who was overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then this king will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, depart, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. 
I was sick in prison and you never visited. Then those goats are gonna say, master, what are you talking about? Now see, they're calling him master. At this point, everybody's gonna know who he is. But there's a pretty good chance that many of these goats knew Jesus long before his return. In fact, Jesus says in another place in Matthew, uh, there'll be people who say, Lord, Lord, you know, I cast out demons. I did all kinds of stuff. I was one of your guys. And he used to say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. It's a a scary wake-up call when Jesus is saying, those people who think They're like really in with me. I don't know who they are. And they rejected me when I was on this planet, hungry, cold, homeless, alone. Those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or imprisoned and didn't help you? They're going to say like, duh, I don't get it. I thought I was covered here. I What are you saying? And he will answer them, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Again, most emphatically, I am telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to. To do it to me. Then those goats will be herded into their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. That's a sobering text. There's a lot of stuff going on in there, but one of the things that's that's going on there is Jesus is saying, I'm a child of my Father in heaven, and he has created in his, his universe and in his wisdom more children, the children of planet Earth. They are children. We are brothers and sisters. He calls us his brothers. We are heirs, children of the Father, who the God wants to give us the kingdom. Jesus identifies so closely with us, and in this passage it becomes clear, he really identifies with us, like, you know, if you're a parent and you really love your kids and, and you're watching them play on the playground and some bully comes over and knocks your kid over, it's like, it's like they just knocked you over, or even worse. It's like, you did that to me, you did that to mine, you did that to this child, and, and you're outraged. God looks at us, even the ones that, that we don't want to look at around us on the street corner holding up a sign, you know, He looks at them as his children. And when we snarl or disrespect somebody like that, we're doing it to Jesus. Jesus said, how can you do that to me, to mine, to one who bears the image of God, who God calls child? This, again, is is, is serious stuff. Now, I, I know that most of us have little experience working with the homeless per se. In fact, it always, it always slays me when I run into a Christian who is excited because they had their first conversation with a real homeless person. Like, you know, they're from Mars or they're, they're like from someplace in Europe. They've never met a person from uh, People's Republic of Mozambique. It's like, I met a person from this island in Africa. Um, there are people who've never even had a conversation with a homeless person. I understand that. 
I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of work and time to get up to speed to do homeless ministry. And it's not just about homeless ministry. But it's about being a kind of person who, well, let me, let me tell you a familiar parable. Okay, so I, I was part, I, I planted a church up in Wheat Ridge called Harvest Christian Community. That's where the classes meeting was uh, in March a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we were defined by doing poverty ministries. And we had this ministry called Haven's Hope, which was a diaper ministry, which is now throughout the whole metro area of Denver. It's multiplied out and it's now a ministry of Love, Inc. That ministry started with a few women in the church who were dealing with welfare moms on food stamps who, um, when you get your food stamps, it doesn't apply for paper goods, so it didn't work for diapers. And they would use up their food stamps on food or whatnot, and they would, by the end of the month, they didn't have any money for diapers, and they were wrapping their children in paper cloths from bathroom or, or towels or whatever. And literally, a couple of these women saw babies that were raw, with rashes and even bleeding because they hadn't been changed frequently. And they said, this cannot be. So what, mom's a junkie. So what, mom doesn't know how to manage money. She's milking the system, whatever. The bottom line is, the child was in pain and crying and bleeding because she didn't have diapers. And that girl's name was Haven. And that's where the name Haven's Hope came from. They said, we got to get diapers for Haven. And that was the birth of this ministry. And as the ministry grew, um, the, the, the two ladies who actually started it, and it became, it became a magnificent ministry. And by the way, those who think they should have cloth diapers and not disposable diapers, if you're a welfare mom and you're on the bus, you don't have a diaper hamper, okay? And you're, 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 your life is so chaotic, you need to be able to just grab one, put it on, throw the other one away. These are not suburban people with all the luxuries of trucks coming to their house and all that. So... I had to put together a three-fold flyer, and I, I told the ladies, because I, I could do this on my computer, I said, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll, I'll do it. And um, one of the gals came up with this parable that was starting to surface, and by now, most of you have heard it. It's called the, the boy or the girl and the starfish. And there's a couple of versions of it that circulate around, but I just, I'll just give you, it's, it's pretty short. So a man is, in this version, a man is walking, this is what I put on the third panel of this Haven's Hope brochure. A man is walking down the beach after a high tide storm. And the beach is covered with starfish that were thrown up on the beach and now can't reach the water. And he's walking along and he sees in the distance a boy who walks a little bit, stops, bends over, stands back up, throws his arm out, takes a few more steps. Finally, the man walking towards the boy and the boy towards him. Finally, the man meets and he's watching the boy and he says, what are you doing? And the, the boy goes, well, there was the storm and here are the starfish and I'm helping the starfish. And the man says, kid, there's thousands of starfish on this beach and the sun is coming up and in a few hours, they're going to dry out and they're going to die. You can't help the starfish. And the boy reached down and picked up another one, gave it a gentle toss. He says, I helped that one. Right? I want to twist that parable this morning, though. And I'm going to say, the man says to the boy, you can't help the starfish. And the boy picks one up 
and throws it in and says, I helped that one. But you're right. The sun is going to get hot. The starfish are going to get scorched. I can't help them all. Some of them are going to fry on this beach. What about you, old man? What about you? Are you going to be helped by the story or by the image of helping a starfish? Or are you going to be a goat? I want you to press in with me for a minute on this. There's something fundamentally wrong and unchristian and unsaved and unspirit-filled. There's something fundamentally lost about those of us who can walk down the beach through the starfish, afraid to even touch them or whatever it is, preoccupied with poetry or science or career or whatever, where we can walk through dying starfish and it doesn't occur to us to bend over and pick one up and gently toss it to life back in the sea. I think that that challenge Jesus has given us here is very real. Jesus is saying, those people who can walk through the starfish have already opted out of my kingdom. Those people who see the need around them and do what they can have already opted into my kingdom. They are like me. They see the value in humanity, value in those who bear my image and bear my spirit of life. Now, again, I know that it can be very radical, very intimidating, the thought of actually taking someone who doesn't have a place to stay into your home or to actually give a piece of clothing to somebody who's shivering because they're down to a thin shirt and the wind is coming in and it's getting cold and you go, that poor person, maybe if you even notice them and you keep going, what would it be to go back to your house and get a jacket and bring it over to, to go to the Salvation Army. The whole thing of trying to actually live this is intimidating, frightening, even overwhelming. I get that. I'll tell you, though, what's really scary is the thought of standing before Jesus and saying, you saw me and you ignored me in my need. Just a practical tip. You gotta start small. Now, some of you are already doing this. I know there's people in this, in this community who are like doing ministries on the street down in downtown Colorado Springs or whatever. Some of you are doing this. So there's, there's like several layers of application here now. For those of you who get this, this is a challenge and an encouragement. Keep getting it. Keep doing it. Get better at it. And help your community. In 3DM, they, they talk about the square. You know, um, I do it, you watch. I do it, you help. You do it, I help. You do it, I watch. And then somebody else watches you as you do it. There's this, this thing where you, you disciple, you mentor, you take somebody in to the learning square around the four sides. If you already got this on some level, even if you know you've got to continue to grow, I encourage you to model it and invite others in going, I'm going to go down to the soup kitchen or I'm going to go to the nursing home. Because if anybody are prisoners in a, in a place like Colorado Springs, there are people in nursing homes 
who are alone and locked down and shut in. And, and Jesus says, when I was, when I was locked in, you ignored me. So, so maybe your gift is in an area like, like nursing home calling. Continue to improve and get comfortable and grow in your ability to be effective in ministering that way and invite somebody in. So I'm talking about people who, who are already doing this on some level. Be encouraged. Jesus says the kingdom is yours. You are already doing the works. You're already laying the love on me and I've got the love to lay on you. Keep doing it and help those around you into that. On the other end, for those of us who like, this is almost frightening to say. Again, there are some of us who have hardly ever even done any of this. We, we were raised in a home that took care of itself and managed money well and, and said, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and everything else. And we're not sure what to think of people who are like people who are hungry, uh, people who are thirsty, people who, who for some reason don't have a home, people who don't have enough clothes, people who don't have any friends to come visit them. And we don't even know what to think about those people. We certainly have zero experience in ministering to people like that. I'm going to say, Jesus says, you got to start working on it. you got to start being transformed by doing acts. And my word of encouragement and application is, it's okay to start small. It's okay to start with, okay, I heard Jesus Sunday. I'm going to buy a couple of pairs of socks at Walmart. And my goal is, by next Sunday, I'm going to find somebody to give a pair of socks to on the street. And maybe I, maybe I tuck a $1 bill or a $5 bill into one of those socks. And now right away, people are going, okay, he's going to use that. He's going to go out and buy some beer. Well, you know, okay, I've been working with the homeless really for 35 years. Yes. Some of them, the first purchase they're going to make is alcohol or pot. Yes. Now, after they've got their alcohol or pot, they're still hungry and they're still cold. And if they get another five bucks, maybe that's where they go next. Some of them are hungry and sober enough that they're going to take it and buy food or whatever. Some of them have, have accumulated just enough money that another five bucks will give them a motel room that night off the street. I don't know. And I'm not saying you have to give money to the homeless because I know the cases as well as anybody for why not to. But I'm saying, are you the kind of person who's trying to connect with Jesus Christ in the people who are like really hurting? And, and this act, maybe just for, for one year, 20 times, you pass out a pair of socks with a $5 bill in it, and next year you graduate to something more sophisticated and challenging. And you never need to give homeless people money anymore because you figured out a better way to help somebody who's hurting. But I want to tell you that you will be transformed by giving out 20 pairs of socks with a couple of bucks. What happens is you start becoming the kind of person who walks down the beach and sees starfish and says, I can help that one. I can't help those thousands over there. This one, the Holy Spirit, this is where it gets real fun, is when you're praying about this. Okay, so like, I'm overwhelmed in Denver with homeless. Even in my, I live in Inglewood on the south side, 
even there, when, like on a Saturday night service, we'll have 20, 30, 40, as many six, as 60 homeless people in a service. I can't take them all home. I have to pray to God, what do you want me to do? And yes, once in a while, once in a while, God convicts Audrey and I to bring a homeless person home for a couple of nights or for a week or something. But I can't like give them a bedroom and say, you're here for now. That doesn't even work. It doesn't work for them and it doesn't work for us. But I have become, and I don't hold this up as a break, I really have become the kind of person who sees and prays and says, God, what, what can I do here? And what, do I, what am I off the hook on? Because there's just too much. And that little dialogue, the Spirit loves that conversation. For those of you who are wondering how to grow closer to the Holy Spirit, start having conversations. Prayers, silent or with others, or muttered in your car. God, what do you want me to do about Jesus on that corner, or Jesus over here, or Jesus in the nursing home, or wherever you uh, run into these people who are being ignored and neglected, who need a touch. It's Jesus saying, touch me here, touch me now. And are you listening? Are you seeing it? Uh, I'd like to uh, close here, um, going back to this whole thing about preppers. The, the title of this, this message this morning, uh, Prepping for Your Own Death and Resurrection. Jesus was prepping for his. His final teachings are prep, prepping us for the fact that we will die or if we're here alive, we will still stand before the Lord on resurrection day. Are we prepared? I, I, I go to the, to the website for survivalists and prepper logs, and they have a really wonderful list of all these things to do, like you know, how to catch a rat and fry it up, with, you know, what to do when things get really bad. You know? And um, I wonder if Jesus did a prepper blog how to prepare for the day of the Lord. Are you prepared? What kinds of things might Jesus put on a prepper log? Would it be how to use cheesecloth to filter your water? How to add a couple of days or a little bit to this life? But if that's your focus, you lose it all forever? Or would he concentrate on things, how to prepare now for eternity? And it, it just so happens he kind of did give us a prepper blog. He said, you know, you want to prepare for the day of the Lord? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. Can you check any of these? Are you prepped? Or are, are you one of them who just kind of hasn't gone there yet? There are sins of omission and sins of mission. Jesus is sending us on a mission out into the world. And in this passage, we are, we are penalized for omitting, for failing to do the mission of loving him in the world around us. What does it profit a person to gain anything now and lose it forever for omitting, for failing to do the mission of loving Jesus the way he wants to be loved here and now? The consequences are yours. You make the choice. You get to decide and self-sort on this matter. Did you live the life of a sheep or of a goat?
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to open your word. It's an encouraging word. It's a challenging word. It's encouraging that you love us so much. You love every person on this planet. You love every person in the seats this morning. It's a challenge because we don't have that much love. We call on you to give us that kind of love, to give us courage, to live the way you lived and modeled and the way you challenge us to now. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Amen.